Well, I invite you to take your Bible and open it back to the book of Ephesians. So thankful to be gathered today. And this is going to be, I say, an interesting message. Actually, all of the scripture is interesting. But sometimes, unless you've exposited through Ephesians before, or you've been in the hearing, you may never hear something like this as a believer. And maybe some of you have heard, but I venture to say that most of you maybe haven't heard this exposited, so it's fascinating. Pick up the text. I'll just read 5.18 through 21. It says there, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's bow and ask his blessing. Father, we bow not out of uh, performance. We're totally dependent upon you. In fact, Lord, the existence of families' health and well-being is connected to the filling of the Spirit. And so, God, we're begging you by the power of your word and through the illumination of the Spirit, open our eyes that you might place a song on our heart that we might sing to your glory and to your honor. Be our teacher, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I mentioned before that all of that that we find here in Ephesians 5, in verses 18 through 21, really sets the table for all that comes after that. Everything that's said in the family, to the wife, to the husband, to the children, to workers, to employers, employees in that sense, results out of the filling of the Spirit. Now, we've been, I don't know, I think this is maybe the, I'm looking here at my notes, the third week, right? We've been looking at three commands. There's commands in the text, that's how we preach. That's how we teach. What the author said, I say. What he commanded, I command. What he declared came from the very voice of God, and we declare. So when I say there's three commands, I mean that Paul had three commands. And you can see the first one was do not get drunk with wine. The second command, which is what we call the main command, is be filled with the Spirit. And then it's not a command. I'm going to get to you The third point is the consequences. So the the first idea was the counterfeit, to not be drunk with wine. We spent some time there. Obviously, drunkenness is a sin, and drunkenness is associated with debauchery. And drunkenness, when you find it all over the Scripture, from Genesis even to the book of Revelation, is associated with bad decisions, a wasteful life, debauchery. And so he just comes out and says, don't get drunk with wine. That's the command. And we believe that maybe the issue there was a religious one because of the temple of Diana or Artemis. In the Roman language, they called it Bacchus. And they used to believe that you could commune with the gods. And the more you got yourself drunk, the more you can be in touch with the gods. It could be that that's his focus. It could be that throughout the New Testament, Drunkenness is associated with darkness and evil. And so I say that to you young people. I always 
smirk when I'm seeing a commercial about drinking, but I don't think they'd ever take you down to the street that I've been in Skid Row in Los Angeles where people can't talk and can't walk because they're inebriated and the gospel needs to be there. So listen, he just comes out and says, listen, if you're going to walk wise, here's the counterfeit. Don't get drunk with wine. And then secondly, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. And we spend a little bit on what it does not mean and second blessing and those things. Then we talked about what it does mean. And we said that what it does mean is a continuous moment by moment submission to the Spirit's control. In other words, the counterfeit is don't be influenced by the spirits, we sometimes call liquor, by the spirits. No, the command is you need to be filled up to the spirit. You need to be controlled by the spirit. And obviously, where alcohol is going to lead to dissipation, it's not the same with the filling of the spirit. The filling of the spirit is going to lead to the fruit of the spirit. And out of your life is going to come love, joy, peace, patience, and one of those fruits is self-control. So here is the believer. He's not to be or she's not to be inebriated with something else. You're to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And we mentioned there that that control of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, is not a permanent condition. Whereas the indwelling of the Spirit happened once for all where the baptism of the Spirit happened once for all at salvation, where the possession came to you and the Holy Spirit took up residence is once and for all. Not this one. This one is a present command, moment by moment, meaning this, that right now you're either full of the Spirit or I could say we're in the flesh. But you you could be a believer and not be full of the Spirit. That's why this command matters. And so we talked about that. It is the thought where His Word dominates you. That His Word is filling your thoughts, and it will be His thoughts. His standards become your standards. His work becomes our work. His will becomes our will. As one man said it, it is to live in the consciousness, the filling of the Spirit, of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as if you and I were standing right right next to him. In other words, you're not dominated or controlled or influenced by anything else. You're letting the Spirit of God control you, which was likened to the Word of God. But you might say, well, well, how does this work? And then I'll I'll finish here in my intro. We, We stated the conditions for filling. In other words, there were some conditions, and we just said last week that you must obey him, right? I mean, you say, what does that mean? To be filled. It's so uh, esoteric. No, it's to be controlled by the Spirit. It means that you're going to obey the commands that have been brought forth in Scripture, brought forth in the book of Ephesians, particularly 4 through 6. And as you hear the word, you're going to obey him, surrender to him. His will becomes your will. Secondly, you must not grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's living in you. He's a person that has taken up residence in you. He's filled you, if you will. He indwelt you, but you can't grieve him because the Holy Spirit is a person. And when you grieve him... Or when Dave Jackson read out of 1 Thessalonians 5.19, when you quench him, 
You say, wait, wait, wait a minute, pastor. Grieve him, quench him. Listen, when you make your will king, you're not filled with the Spirit. When you make your will over against the standard of the Word of God, you grieve him. You, you cause the Holy Spirit to be saddened with sorrow. You, you cause him to be quenched. And you say, what do you mean quenched? The, the Holy Spirit is in you, causing you and I to pursue holiness. And every time we choose sin, we are dousing that fire in us and quenching it. And so we talked about the conditions. We said you've got to obey him. You can't grieve or quench him. You must, if that's the case, confess your sins to him, right? You must, we said fourthly, pray to him and you must fill yourself with the word of God so that the word is permeating you and controlling you. Now the question is, as we pick up today, if you yield to the spirit's control, then what are the consequences? I mean, if you yield to him and you become filled, the text is going to drive to these consequences. Now, let me just frame this. If you look down in your scripture, there's what we call a bunch of participles there. Okay, you could see them. Don't mean to get so technical. Addressing is one of those. It says, and it says, singing is a second one. Thirdly, verse 19, making melody is another one. Verse 4 and verse, or verse 20 is the fourth, giving thanks. And then another one in verse 21, submitting, okay? Those are all, you say, what do you mean by that? They're attached to the main verb. In other words, if you're filled with the Spirit, let me say it this way so you can outline it. You will sing, you will secondly say thanks, and thirdly, you'll be submitting one to another. In other words, the conditions as you walk through that, just out of the command, will result in consequence to singing, saying thanks, and submitting. Do you understand, and I mentioned this to you, no family can get along with each other if you're king of your own castle and there's not mutual submission one to another. No child would ever be able to obey their parents until they're submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so these commands, if you will, flow to us from this principle. Now I want to be clear here with you. These three uh, consequences, singing, saying things, and submitting, describe, don't miss this, the results of the filling, Okay? And I'm, I'm comparing that, that some would say it's the means of the filling. In other words, when you do this, you'll be filled. I don't believe that. I believe what he's saying is, here are the consequences. Here are the results of the filling. Not so much how to be filled, I said that last week, or the means to be filled, you understand, but the results of the filling and these three consequences will result. So let's look at the first one. And I thought it's too, there's so much there that I don't want to skip over it because we might not come back to this particular passage again. The first consequence, so you got the counterfeit, the command, the consequence. The first consequence is singing, singing. In other words, if you're controlled by the Spirit, 
the first consequence will be singing. Now you'll know, pick up the text with me in verse 19. It says there, and I'm in the ESV, obviously, addressing one another. If you're holding an NASB, it actually says speaking to one another. You say, well, what is right? Well, they're, they're both right. In fact, you, you might say addressing one another or speaking to one another. It seems odd that you and I know that music is sung. It's, it's not spoken. But the expression here, okay, is used by Moses it says this, when he spoke the words of his song to the entire assembly. So when he talks about addressing, when he talks about singing, it's actually, or speaking, it's in the context where Moses um, spoke the words of the song to the entire assembly. That's in Deuteronomy 31.30, okay? Also, Deborah in the Old Testament spoke her song to Israel. Thirdly, I would say, and there's more, David spoke the words of a song to the Lord, 2 Samuel 22.1. So when it opens up here, look at verse 19 again, addressing one another, you can see the link in verse 19 in psalms and hymns, and then he mentions spiritual songs, and then in verse 19 as well, it says singing. In other words, beloved, excuse me, take this jacket off if I will. Beloved, the, the scripture tells us that he has made us creatures of worship, okay? And when we are filled with the Spirit, enough to say is out of our mouth, out of our heart, is released a song. So addressing one another is a facet of singing, and spirit-filled people sing. They address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They don't just talk about grace, but they actually sing about grace. And this is the testimony of Scripture, that if you're in Christ, even as a child, there's a new song on your heart. The song arises, I believe, out of the new birth. That when he genuinely converts you, that when he genuinely saves you, he puts a song on your heart. This is what you see in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 33, it says there, not to make a quiet shout, but shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright, the Lord. And look at the language with lyre. Make melody to him with the heart of ten strings. Here it is. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. I would even say that he likes it loud. <laughs> For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. In other words, when you come to Christ, there's a new song. I mean, I wouldn't ever do that, but sometimes I'll be in a service, even as a guest somewhere, and I'll look back and I'll see, are the men singing? Are their lips moving? Now again, the heart's going to come out here, but when you've come to Christ, this is not perfunctory. 
When we sing great is thy faithfulness, we're singing that he's faithful. Amen? When we sing holy, 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 these become shouts of anthems for Grace Church of the Valley. Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He, this is what Blake's talking about in that intro he gave. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. I feel that way when he saved me. Do you feel that way? He just drew me up. I think my fist was in God's face, not ever wanting to submit to him. And the hound of heaven was so strong that he buckled me. And he drew me, if you will, out of the pits. It says, and out of the miry bog, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And then this, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see and fear and, their, and put their trust in the Lord. It's a new song. It's a new heart in the life of a believer. Psalm 98, 1 and 2, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So there's a new song. You just, this is what happens when you get converted. Psalm 98 verse 4, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. And here it is, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the kings, the Lord. This is what believers do. I think what Paul is saying here, though it be brief, is spirit-filled men, spirit-filled women, spirit-filled students, spirit-filled children sing. In fact, it says in Revelation, you go to the end of the world, won't this be a joy? They sang a new song. I think there's a new song at salvation, but when he conquers and when he comes, there's going to be a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll, speaking of Christ, to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed uh, people for God from every tribe and nation, language and nation. They sang a new song. Uh, Revelation 14.3, they were singing a new song before the throne and the four living creatures and before the elders. In fact, I don't, well, yeah, there it is. No one could learn that song at this point except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Listen, I've been in places of 8,000 people, 10,000 people at Together for the Gospel. I've been there multiple years with our staff and leaders at the Shepherds Conference. There's nothing like singing with 3,500 men. But can you imagine a 144,000 voiced choir singing a song to, to the Lord? Unbelievable, incredible, I would say. Revelation 15.3 says, sing, to, sing the song of the Lamb, saying, great. And amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true. It's about his character. It's about his attributes. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. I mean, throughout Scripture, 
I wish I had more time. It's obvious that God loves music. In 1 Chronicles 16, David instituted a tabernacle choir. In the book of Ezra, in chapter 2, Zerubbabel had a choir of 200 singing men and women. You go over to the New Testament in Matthew 26, the last thing the disciples did before Jesus went out to be taken, tried, and crucified is it says that they sang a hymn. I think you remember in Acts 16.25, after Paul and Silas, I, I mean, I don't know what your trial is or my trial, I don't know if you can give thanks under the Spirit's control or sing, but they're in prison. They were beaten with rods. The text says inflicted with blows, fastened in the stocks by their feet, and they were singing in prison. Listen, I'm just telling you, whatever you think a Christian might be, and whatever you think the, Spirit, the, the Spirit's filling might be, I'm declaring to you that here it says, when you're a man, when you're a woman in Christ, you sing. The first consequence when filled with the Spirit is singing. You know, I, one of the things that strikes me is whenever Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, and I've read it a number of times to, to my kids, people say, why is that book so popular? It's allegorical on the Christian life. I think sometimes I would read it again to the kids because Spurgeon, the great European preacher, read this book over a hundred times. And whenever Bunyan was describing Pilgrim, coming out of a dilemma, coming out of a disaster, that somehow out of the dilemma, out of the, the disaster, the dilemma, he was rescued. It's interesting that the Bible never says, excuse me, that that book never says he was filled with the Spirit never says that, but over 50 times in Pilgrim's Progress, it says that Christian went on his way singing. 50 times. I mean, this is what a believer does. I mean, listen, when unbelievers get together, I'll be frank, they party, they get drunk in many cases, they listen to their own music, but when we get together, we sing. Why do we sing this morning? We sing because we're commanded to. You say, well, Scott, is this individual or corporate? I'd say, yes. He's talking about a spirit-filled believer. Could be individually, but at least he's addressing the church at Ephesians, at Ephesus. And here, believers sing because the Spirit of God has birthed a song in your heart. And listen, I would say the reason I hear you singing, even from up front, Many of you are in tears on the Lord's day because we're crying out to God because we recognize His grace. We recognized He redeemed us out of the miry clay, out of the bog. And if, you know, there's a song on the heart. So here it says to sing Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And if you do, you're going to sing. James 5.13 says, if your heart is filled with joy, you sing. So the first consequence of the Spirit's filling, let me say this. I don't know what you think, but it's not a bizarre experience. It's not some spiritual gift that's released in somebody who supposedly has that gift. That's not what I'm reading. It's not that you get a second blessing or a second work of grace 
Or as I said last week, that the one particular man came to full sanctification. This is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, high school students, if you're filled with the Spirit, adults, even children, the first consequence is singing. You say, but how? What? Tell me more about singing. Well, let me do this out of the text in four descriptive phrases, okay? Just right out of the text, four descriptive phrases. What does that type of singing look like? How? Well, first, singing is expressed, number one, in its content. In its content. Look at the text. You could see it in verse 19. Addressing one another. Here's the content. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, and it says, making melody. Here's the content. It's psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now listen, I, don't, I think it's kind of hard to make complete distinctions on these phrases. But drawn together, taken together, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs I think describe the full range and the varieties of singing when filled with the Spirit. Now he says to address one another, which is the same thought in verse 19 as singing, okay? But this is what happens. Singing, that word there in 19 is the word which literally means to sing with the voice. So addressing could be speaking to one another about the Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but here singing is, is singing from the heart. Some of you may think, I don't sing on key, <laughs> and that's okay. Text doesn't say you have to sing on key. So he lists these varieties. You say, what are they? He mentions the Psalms, the Psalms. Obviously, uh, it's interesting, the, the word originally meant, your, your mind's going to go to the Old Testament, and rightly so, but it originally meant the plucking of the strings is what that word has as its foundation. It was used in 1 Samuel 16, 18 of David playing, or literally plucking the harp. But primarily that word is used and refers to the Psalms, the book of Psalms, which is the book that was put to music. It is our hymn book. These are Psalms, songs of, and prayer to the people of God. These Psalms address the work of God, do the Psalms, and the word of God in conversation. It's the book of praise. It's what the early church did. It's what we did this morning. You say, do we speak from the Psalms? Well, <laughs> absolutely. Where do you think holy, holy, holy comes from? Out of the Word of God, particularly out of Isaiah 6. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. Where does that come from? From the book of Lamentations. We sing, my soul will wait. Where does that come from? Psalm 62. In other words, there's content here. There's content here. Many of those come out of the book of Psalms. And what a great opportunity you have, let me say this, to address one another in this way. Do you come in and address one another about his faithfulness? Do you go out during the week and speak about his holiness? 
Do you go out reciting at this point, Psalm 62, my soul will wait for the Lord? Listen, you're not watching them perform. What ought to be happening is we as a congregation need to be so filled with the Spirit that when we come into this place, we are addressing and speaking to one another in these Psalms. Okay? I mean, have you ever sent somebody a YouTube clip? I'm sure you have of a psalm and reminded them of God's goodness in the midst of a trial. This is what Paul is speaking and addressing in psalms. In fact, if there's fear in your heart that arises, uh, as a young family, we used to, Steve Green, not Stephen Curtis Chapman, but Steve Green. What was that album, Patty? Hide him in your heart. It was a great, great, and this one would come out all the time. Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my, what? My trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. It it went something like this. Can I try it? I I can't sing. But when I am afraid, you know, and and I heard that song a thousand times. From whom? My wife. Singing to our kids at the bedside. Singing to them this psalm to to get away from the world's fear. I will put my trust in you in God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. Some of you have come in maybe fearful today. And the question is what are you putting into that fear? It's either going to be your own thoughts, your own future that you'll become anxious over or turn to Psalm 56 that when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I think the antithesis here is you're not putting filthy talk into your mind. You're not, back in chapter 4, speaking falsehood. You're not letting sexual immorality or impurity even be named among you. You're coming into this flock. Let me change it. You're coming into your home, men. Students, you're coming to each other at the campus, at Kingsburg High, Emmanuel, CVC. This is what you're talking and addressing and speaking about. In other words, do you understand what Paul's saying? And I'll get to this in a moment. You are addressing one another. When churches revive, it's based on people that are spirit-filled. Then he says, secondly, hymns. You can see that, the content. A hymn, this literally means a song of praise. A song of praise. And I believe their focus usually is centered on the person of Christ. And there's many scholars that believe Colossians 1, 15 through 18 was a hymn. There's many scholars that believe that Philippians 2, but Christ emptying himself is a hymn. In fact, glance in your Bible, most scholars say that 514 was a hymn. In other words, it, it doesn't directly say it, but there's some writing on this where it says, I think it's, it's Isaiah 60, Awake, O sleeper, verse 14, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. They believe that that was a hymn. And so here he's talking about psalms and hymns. And then he mentions thirdly under this content, spiritual songs. The the idea here is of of a testimony. Much of what we might call praise and worship. 
So here, a spirit-filled man or woman results in a spirit-filled corporate worship that will characterize itself by psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So first, singing is expressed in content, okay? The words need to be right. We meticulously go through the words, the lyrics of these songs. They need to reflect this. They need to get you vertical. They need to get you to God. They need to reflect His character, His attributes. They need to speak of the work of Christ and those spiritual songs need to be filled with testimony that arises out of the Scripture. So singing is expressed in its content. Secondly, singing is for the edification of the saints. It's for the edification of the saints. Look at verse 19. You don't want to miss this. He just says, addressing, and then he uses the phrase, one another. In other words, it's for the edification of the the saints. You're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that build each other up. You're addressing one another. It says in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Teaching and admonishing one another, there it says, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, it's interesting. Did you know that during the Middle Ages, the, the, they would call it this, the laity were not allowed to sing. You'd go into the service, you couldn't sing. I think the reasoning was is since the average member didn't have the ability to read the scriptures, they were not allowed to sing. And when they did have singing, it was only done maybe in a special music format. The guy who changed that was Luther. He believed that people must be allowed not only to read the scripture, but sing in the worship services. Here's what he said. Let God speak directly to his people through the scriptures, he said, and let his people respond with grateful songs of praise. So you're responding. You're responding to one another. Luther called music God's greatest gift. In fact, Luther went on to say this, that the notes bring the text to life. He said, quote, the gift of language combined with the gift of song was only given to man to let him know that he should praise God with both word and music by proclaiming the word of God through music. I think that's well said. So we sing, okay? And though our singing is primarily directed to God, he's the primary audience. There is, watch this, a horizontal dimension. As the body hears one another addressing one another in praise to God, their hearts are encouraged and they're built up and they're strengthened. Listen, I want to tell you when you come in here, I know you're sitting in a nice comfortable seat, but you have a responsibility to this body. You get your heart right before you come in. You have the ability as you come into corporate worship to, here's this thought, addressing one another in songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so here, when we sing to the Lord vertically, 
we also address one another horizontally for the edification of the congregation. So important. Now, let me just say this to you as well. Singing then, if it's for the edification of the saints, is not designed, this is just an obvious implication, it's not designed to be an evangelistic tool. What we do, the people of God do. What we sing, we sing from our heart. But my point is, so much of what comes off as worship today is seen to be an evangelistic tool, or it's there to create a vibe, if you guys use that word, or it's there to create a culture, or the people are on stage to, you know, record their CD, or to digitally record, or it's designed there for performance. The Bible says when you come in, we're addressing one another. I think I've told you before that when we built this stage, we went up to Fresno to the people who planned this, Michael Griffith and Associates, MGA, and I think I've shared with you, I, I, just, I usually let Blake go, but I went one time, and, and they said, Pastor, this is really different. You're building a, a beautiful sanctuary that holds a lot of people, but your platform is very different. I, I, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I, I like our platform, do you? Um, and he said, well, it's very different. I said, how so? He said, because of all the churches that we're building physically on, off the side of the, 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 the stage is a digital recording room. I said, well, what do they do with the digital recording room? He said all the musicians are hooked up so that they could record what every musician is playing and singing. And so they've got this thousands of dollars recording studio right next there. I said, no, we don't need that. Blake and I kind of looked at each other and smiled. You say, why? That's not our purpose. We're not on a performance here. We sing, you sing, not so that we could be great, but that we could make much of the Lord. But singing is for the edification of the saints. Amen? I remember, I don't know, it was years ago, I uh, had tickets from my friend who, uh, he loves Christ. He's a recording artist. He was. He's a missionary now, but he, he was singing at one of these big rallies up by where Dom is now. It was close to Monterey, and I took my daughter for her birthday. And before he came out, I mean, there's 40,000 people at this thing. And he's singing. I thought, oh, I'm so glad to be with you. Um, this is a friend of Shay and mine. And he pulls out of his pocket um, the lyrics to a song. He said, Pastor Scott, I want you to have the lyrics to my song. I said, well, thanks. He said, you're going to need them. And I thought, what do you mean I'm going to need the lyrics? He said, you won't be able to hear. And I said, what do you mean I won't be able to hear? He says, well, you'll see. I go, what do you mean I'll see? He goes, I'm going to be screaming. Okay? And I, I, I wasn't sure what he meant until it started. And then out of his mouth, like all I could say, the guy is in Christ, was screaming. Screaming. And you say, could I hear what he was saying? No, I had to look at his lyrics. It's a type of music genre 
where it's just hard. Like if you think, oh, I know hard rock. No, no, you, ha- you need to hear this guy, okay? Because I had to look at the lyrics and, and, I, and I thought, I don't want to fault his heart. He, he loves Christ. His lyrics were accurate, but they were, uh, I couldn't understand them. I've never seen anything like it. I think when, he, when the first two minutes was off, I was like this. And, and I didn't understand. But listen, you are, okay, addressing one another. It's for the edification of the saints. The content is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it's expressed in its content. It's for the edification of the saints. Thirdly, it's accompanied by the heart. Look at the text again. It says, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Making melody is to pluck a string, to play a lyre, to play a harp. Um, And then it meant to play any instrument, if you will, accompanied by the voice. And then he says, you're to make melody to the Lord with your heart. The heart refers to the whole of your being. In other words, your entire person should be filled with songs of praise. Listen, I would tell you, and this is the point, God's far more concerned with the inside than he is the outside, right? He's far more concerned with where you're, you cannot come in here and just say, it's the same old, same old. You need to come in here, right? Expressing praise to his greatness, okay? For the edification of one another. And you're making melody, whether you're playing or there, in your own heart to the Lord. In fact, I think of Amos 5, when the prophet said, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. The noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, In other words, he wants our heart, not just perfect mechanics, right? Listen, you worship today. Did you worship with a whole heart? I mean, I think, you know what I know, I don't mean to be on you. I think when Blake introduced that song, I'm like, yeah, Blake, he he picked me up by his grace. He picked me up out of the miry clay. He took me out of the bog. He took me when my fist was in the hand of God at 14. And he didn't save me because I had godly parents. I didn't have godly parents. We had never heard the gospel before. And he reached down and redeemed me. And I think as we come in, you come in, and many of you, it just should be on our hearts. In fact, Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, because the people draw near me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by what? Wrote. You're just going through it. There Isaiah said, listen, the people of Israel had sinned greatly. We need to sing from our heart. If the heart isn't right, then it doesn't please God. Oh, the pitch may vary, but if the heart is right, then the music is a blessing in God's ears. I remember years ago, I was smiling when I thought about it. I was in Hawaii. I was on a professional baseball team, a semi-professional baseball team. And we were in Hawaii 
sharing the gospel, and they took us into a, a prison. I was 19 at the time, and uh, so we were playing University of Hawaii and some other uh, minor league pro teams, and they took us into a prison. I was a little frightened. And uh, at 19, I'd never been in a prison at that point. I'd been in prison before, not for a crime, but to share the gospel. But I went into this prison, and I got to tell you, I'm walking in, we're, the gates are closing, and, and then we're in the little chapel, and these guys walk in, and I was like, whoa. They were some of the biggest dudes that I had ever seen in my life. I went into a Samoan chapel, okay, and I just remember saying, like, I wasn't saying it out of my mouth. I was just saying, that guy is enormous, you know. And then five other guys, they are more enormous than that guy. Then the next guy came. They were just massive. Not so much in height, but they were like a brick wall. And then I got even more afraid. And they're kind of like looking at me going like this when I walked by. And I, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be very, very interesting. And then I just remember this. They got up, and they started singing, and I'll never forget it in all my life. It was over probably 40 years ago, and I'm just, I'm watching these grown brick house men sing from all their heart with tears streaming down their face over the joy of what Jesus Christ had done to them, and I was moved because I knew they weren't just moving their lips, but it was their whole heart. And so Paul is going to say here, it needs to be, uh, you know, filled with content. It's for the edification of the saints, but it's to be done from a full heart. In our inner being is the thought, where Christ dwells. And then finally, and we'll finish here, all music, all singing is for the exaltation of the Lord. Look at the last phrase there. It says, you're making melody to the Lord with your whole heart. But it says they're making melody to who? To the Lord. Our songs are to Him. They're not for Blake. They're not for the worship team. They're not up here seeking to perform. You should have heard the prayer beforehand. They're only assisting us. All singing is to the Lord. And when it says here, you see it there in 19, to the Lord, it could be a reference to God, but in all of the book of Ephesians, it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ in every place. So you're singing not for anybody else, not for performance, not to be digitally recorded, not because we got great voices. You come in, though you're addressing one another, all your song and praise is going to the Lord Jesus Christ to draw attention not to ourselves, but to him. First Chronicles 23, verse 3, and there were te- in the temple there, oh boy, I just can't imagine that, 38,000 people who ministered, and out of the 38,000 who ministered, 4,000, it says, were musicians praising the Lord. He's the vertical dimension, and they were doing it with instruments, amazingly, that David had made for praise. In in 2 Chronicles 5, uh, it says the trumpeters and the singers in unison, as with one voice, to give praise and thanks to the Lord. I mean, this is throughout Scripture, though music is horizontal, certainly in an aspect, 
its corporate dimensions primarily focus on the vertical. It's to the Lord. So listen, we're done. Are you filled with the Spirit? You say, well, Scott, I, I, like, so I like to come on Sunday. We get to sing, amen. But I think you could also be singing during the week, don't you? There's so many good things that you could dial into Pandora, that music is playing in our house every single day, primarily because of my wife. And then I, I just, I love that too. And then you, it just fills you. It takes you up. It reminds you of the goodness. Spirit-filled people sing, okay? As Jesus approached the Jerusalem, the multitude began to praise God. Do you remember this? With a loud voice for all the miracles which they had been saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And as they're coming in, the Pharisees are rebuking the multitude. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said in Luke 19, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will what? Cry out. Listen. May Grace Church sing that the stones never have to cry out. Would you bow your head as I call the worship team back up?